0: So we've, uh, we've had a reading from Exodus, and I want to sort of connect it with uh, reading from Luke's Gospel in a minute, but let's, let's just pray now, shall we? Just bow our heads as we pray. Lord God, we, we do thank you that you're present with us now, and we ask that you'll open up your word to us and uh, make it real, make it apply to our lives, and, and help us to, as we're waiting on you, to really meet you today. We ask you in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, in just a few minutes, I want to sort of set out what what I think is important about communion, and then we'll have another little talk uh, about the Emmaus Road experience as we're gathered around the table to actually celebrate the communion. It's a job to know where to start, really, isn't it? Um, When when Pete asked me um, it was because the last time that we celebrated communion he mentioned the Emmaus Road and I think there's a little bit more to it that perhaps we haven't seen and so we'll look at that in a a bit Um, I want to read from Luke's Gospel just to try and connect the Old Testament with the New um, from uh, Luke 22 Uh, From verse 7, it's perhaps headed uh, the Last Supper in your versions. Verse 7 of Luke 22. Then came the day of unleavened bread on which the Passover lamb had to be sacrificed. Jesus sent Peter and John saying, "'Go and make preparations for us to eat the Passover.' Where do you want us to prepare for it, they asked. He replied, As you enter the city, a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow him to the house that he enters and say to the owner of the house, The teacher asks, Where is the guest room where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? He will show you a large upper room, all furnished. Make preparations there. They left and found things just as Jesus had told them, For I tell you, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread, gave thanks, and broke it, and gave it to them, saying, This is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after the supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. But the hand of him... Sorry, I'll stop there, because <laughs> I want to look at the, the next bit later. So we're gathered around the table. There's not really enough room on this. <laughs> we need an old-fashioned big sort of pulpit. Never mind. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, this, this meal that we're going to celebrate, it's, it's got got different names. Um, Sometimes we call it a a sacrament, sometimes we call it an ordinance, Uh, but it's been at the center of controversy in the church over the years. Um, What do we call it? Communion, perhaps, most often here, Holy Communion, the Mass, the Eucharist, breaking of bread, agape meal, the Lord's Supper, but it's the same thing. Sometimes we wonder, how do we get the term mass? I believe that's because in, uh, in early times, uh, those who are not believers would be dismissed at that point. And this meal was just for those who, who fully understood and believed. And so, different names, arguments about what happens. Does the bread, actually, bread and wine actually t- change into the body and blood of Jesus? And then questions about who can preside. Does it have to be an ordained priest? Or, or just an elder of the church, or somebody appointed by the church, and who should receive the bread and wine? Only church members, um, as strict Baptists would would have, or only believed believers in good standing. And how often? Um, the Passover was celebrated just once a year, wasn't it? Uh, if you're in the Church of Scotland, I think it'll be three or four times communion seasons. Um, Many you know Catholics that would be normal every uh, at least every week and some places every day and perhaps it 's not surprising that there are differences that there's controversy about this because the communion I believe is really absolutely completely central to everything that we are and everything that we believe as christians it's the core it points to the core of our faith that Jesus died for us and rose again and if we don't keep it at the centre, there's a danger that we drift off into talking about other things. And there's plenty of other things in the church that we can talk about. It, this, this feast, this supper, keeps us focused. I think it's a little bit the same about um, baptism, that the fact that in a Baptist church we, we have believers baptism focuses on, on the, the, the importance of, uh, 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 of faith and believing and taking that that commitment on yourself personally. It focuses on the gospel, and I think so does this this commemoration, this feast. It it focuses very firmly on Jesus. It focuses on the gospel. And so, as we celebrate the Lord's Supper, it keeps Jesus central. And um, if we're we're going to read a little bit later on the account that we've got in... um, uh, in 1 Corinthians by Paul, um, he says, For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes again. So we proclaim the Lord's death. So in, in having communion, we're focusing on the central part of our faith. And, and, and maybe if we don't keep it central, then we're in danger of, of going into things that don't really matter. Some people think that perhaps, as Baptists, we should uh, commemorate the Lord's Supper every week. Um, there's um, a former principal of, uh, of Spurgeon's College, uh, perhaps one of the greatest Baptist New Testament scholars of the last, um, last century, George Beasley Murray, who, who firmly believed that that's what we should do. Uh, and of course, uh, if you're in the assemblies of God or in the Brethren, that would be normal, wouldn't it? This would be the, the morning service would be. The Lord's Supper. So we proclaim uh, the Lord's death, um, but how do we do it? What's happening here? So we've read from the Old Testament uh, about the Passover. We've we've just read uh, that the Last Supper, and it's clear that that Jesus is celebrating the Passover with his with his disciples. So what's what's happening here? What do, do, are, are we taking um, uh, just the body and blood of Jesus? Is that what we're doing? Which will forgive us um, and make us ready for heaven? Are we taking it individually? Perhaps if we're uh, in a Catholic or Anglican setting, it's very much focused on on us coming to the front, uh, receiving the bread and wine, uh, and going away again, and perhaps we we have to try and think what it's about for ourselves. We have to perhaps take some of the readings, some of the prayers and, and try and make it real for ourselves. It's about personal forgiveness and about being individually saved. Of course I, I exaggerate that sort of Catholic position a bit but um, it can emphasize that that personal faith but I don't see that in Luke's Gospel. Um, it's Jesus is saying, well, where can I celebrate the Passover with my disciples? It's, and, and the Passover itself is a, is a whole meal. There's lots of things that remind the Jew. If, we were, if a Jew was celebrating at Jesus' time or now, there's a whole lot of different things, are there? There's, there's the herbs and there's different cups and there's the unleavened bread. And all these things are, are pointing back to what happened, you know, um, a thousand or two thousand years ago you know, 3,000 years ago, what happened at the Exodus when the people of God were saved from slavery. That's what it was about, wasn't it? These people who were in slavery became free people because of a mighty act of God. And so we together, God's church here, we're saved by that mighty act of God when Jesus took our sins on the cross, the sins of the whole world, and together we're saying we're your people, Lord. We belong to you. Um, now, a Jew wouldn't, wouldn't think of missing the Passover. It would be unheard of, wouldn't it? It'd have to be there. Jesus wanted to celebrate the Passover with his disciples before he left. Um, and, and the Jewish person is putting himself back. It, it's sort of reenacting. It's not like a sort of Civil War reenactment, perhaps, where it's just history. He's saying... I'm one of those people who were saved by what God did uh, so many years ago. You know, it's as though you were the, really there, and, the, and the, the, young, the, the boy asked the question, What does this, why is this meal different? Why do we do these things? And, um, but it's the great deliverance of God, and so for us, the New Testament people of God gathered around the table. Now, there's, there's some people who would say, um, you know, we, we should only celebrate communion as... As a church, you know, we, we shouldn't do it either individually or perhaps when we have a, a, a meeting for ministers or a, a Baptist assembly, we shouldn't do that because it's a church thing. It's a local church thing. And that's the only way we can celebrate. And I, I always sort of practice if I was going to take communion to a housebound person, you know, I go with somebody else or two or three if possible, you know, because it's a church event, We're all there celebrating that we are the people of God. Uh, And we're entering into what Jesus has done and recognising that we only exist because of Jesus. It's all about Jesus, isn't it? It focuses us on Jesus. And we'll see later that we want to see him uh, in this service. And... There's a verse in, in one Corinthians in chapter five and verse seven when, when we when Jesus is uh, when when Paul is connecting Christ on the Passover, it says, "For Christ, our Passover, or our Passover Lamb, has been sacrificed for us. Therefore, let us keep the feast, or let us keep the festival." But I think he's meaning more than that; just the actual sort of celebration. He's thinking uh, about the whole of rejoicing that we belong to God. Because it goes on, um, uh, for Christ our Passover has been sacrificed for us, and it says, uh, and we don't celebrate it with the old leaven of wickedness, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. So, it's, it's about that change that's happened to us, uh, and just as in, in baptism, it's about that change, you know, we're, we're, we're getting rid of an old life that's dead and buried, and we're now living in a new life, and we have to sacrifice some stuff. And, and so it is at communion. We're saying, you know, it's, the old life is dead and buried, thanks to Jesus. And now we're rejoicing together uh, in the wonderful things that he's done. So the communion, the Lord's Supper, is about proclaiming Jesus' death until he comes again. And it's a community reenactment, a community celebration. But it's also a, a challenge to commitment. So that's where I want to read the next bit. And um, I just sort of stopped abruptly. and thought, why is that? So we, we're back to Luke 22. And, um, well, actually, I'll, Luke 22, I'll, I'll carry on at verse 20. In the same way, after the supper, he took the cup, saying, this cup. Is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you? But the hand of him who is going to betray me is with mine on the table. The Son of Man will go as it has been decreed, but woe to that man who betrays him! Isn't that strange? It's coming so close after that it's talking about betrayal. And when when Paul in 1 uh, 1 Corinthians uh, gives that account of how we ought to celebrate uh, the Lord's Supper, he says on the night when he was betrayed. Isn't that strange? He doesn't say on the night, uh, you know, when he went to the cross or the night when he celebrated the Passover, on the night when he was betrayed because there's something about commitment here that this is a, a family gathered around the table. They're committed to each other. They belong to each other and yet one of them is going to betray Jesus. It seems inconceivable, but that's what's hap- going to happen. And then after that, they began to question among themselves which it might be who would do this. And a dispute arose among them as to which was considered to be the greatest. Wonderful, isn't it? <laughs> they only celebrate it once a year. Jesus is going. And all they can argue about is who's the greatest. But that's sometimes like how it is in the church, isn't it? You know, <laughs> who's going to lead us? Who's going to be the great? Who's, who's the best preacher? So on. We go on and on about that stuff, and that's what they were doing then, but that's not how it should be, is it? That's why this is recorded for us. And, um, and then, if we just skip a little bit, um, verse 31, Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift you, sift you as wheat, but I have prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail, and when you have turned back, strengthen your brothers. But he replied... Lord, I'm ready to go with you to prison and death. I tell you, Peter, before the cock crows today, you will deny three times that you know me. So he was Peter was promising that I'll go with you to prison and to death. In a sense, I think we have to we're expected to do that. It's the this this meal looks back to the past. We're celebrating. What, what happened in the Passover, what Jesus did, it, it reminds us uh, of what we are today, but it looks to the future. It's asking the question, are you committed to me now for your life as you go ahead? Are you committed to live in a certain way? And again, just as at baptism, you're looking to what happened. Your, your, your old person is dead and buried, but you're, you're saying, I promise Lord Jesus to serve you with my life. And so that's what we're saying. You know, we're we're part of this. Um, So we're proclaiming Jesus' death. uh, We're celebrating, we're reenacting the fact that we're part of his wonderful community. And there's that challenge to commitment. And um, I just don't think we should miss it. I I mean, I'm, I'm as guilty as others, but... I don't remember the time when in Baptist churches you had, at the communion, you had a little ticket. Every member had a ticket with a number on. And when the the plate came round for the communion offering, you put your little ticket in. And I've seen the books at, at City Road with the membership books and there's little ticks for every time people take communion. And if you're not there over, you know, a few months, the deacons will be visiting you. But if we belong to Jesus, we should be here, shouldn't we? It should be the focus of what we're about. Uh, I don't know how we do it in practice, but it was important to our forebears. It was important to the early church, as we'll see in a minute, uh, and it should be f- important for us now. So that's it for the moment, and then we're going to celebrate this great feast. You might have wondered why there's this picture here. It normally hangs in the chapel at uh, Logos House, the Salvation Army Hospital. And it's a copy of a Caravaggio. Um, it was painted by one of the residents. Um, and actually he, you know, he had drug and alcohol problems. He, he started it and then he just disappeared, left the hospital and came back a year or two later and finished it. Um, and it hangs there and um, <clears throat> there is a, a little slip underneath that explains it. Because some people think, what is it? Some, some people think, oh, that's, that's uh, the Last Supper, but of course it isn't. This is, can you everybody see it, by the way? So it's. Um, <laughs> <coughs> you could put it on, maybe. Right. Do you want, will, it, will it rest on there if we turn it around? Yeah. <laughs> Just rest it on there, Pete. Yeah, that's better, isn't it? Yeah. Okay. And um, so it, it's Jesus at Emmaus. And uh, as we came in, uh, Lydia said, doesn't um, Jesus look a bit feminine? You notice what's a bit different about? No beard. Yes, no beard. He painted Jesus without a beard. Uh, just, just to give people the idea of that why he was difficult to recognize. Of course, that wasn't the reason. But... Um, and, and then you see that it's just at this point that they're, they're seeing that it is Jesus because the man here has got his hands you amazing. Know? And it's at that, that point that they actually realize that it's Jesus. So, that's good. Thanks, Pete. Um, but when we... Would it be useful to read that... Um, Section, I think it would, from um, Luke 24. So we're right at the end of Luke's Gospel now. So it's Luke 24 and verse 13 on the road to Emmaus. Now, that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened. As they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them, but they were kept from recognizing him. Of course, we often think that it's two men, but it may have been a couple. Doesn't actually say. And um, so they were walking along, and then, so why didn't they recognize him? I've been in a situation when I used I used to have a beard for ten years, and. um, and then I shaved it off and I went to a Baptist assembly and some of my friends walked past me. And <laughs> so, of course, they didn't recognize Jesus. Maybe he looked a little bit different, we don't know. But we weren't expecting him, of course. There's all those things. Uh, but it says in verse 16, but they were kept from recognizing him. And Raymond Brown, um, former principal of Spurgeon's College, said, that was like a minor miracle. It was, Jesus, it was God himself who was doing that because he wanted them to understand all that Jesus had done, all that he had done before he revealed himself to them. And, and some people have taken this as, uh, they may have as a sort of a model of how we come to, to believe that it's explained and then we see Jesus. But I think more this is a model of the communion. I think that Luke writing at the time when the church would have been celebrating communion regularly was using this event to try and give a glimpse of how it could be when we're around the Lord's table. So then um, we, we hear that Jesus explained why He had to die, and so on. And then in verse 28 as they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus acted as if he were going further. But they urged him strongly Stay with us, for it is nearly evening. The day is almost over. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and began to give it to them. Then their eyes were opened and they recognized him, and he disappeared from their sight at that point. And so I think, yeah, God opened their eyes at that point, but also they saw his hands as he broke the bread. So just a few points I, I, I want to, to make about how we can compare in the Emmaus Road and the meal that we're just about to celebrate. It was the first day of the week. The Christians celebrated on the first day of the week. Not the Thursday, which was when they'd celebrated his, the Last Supper, not the Friday of his death, but it was the first day of the week when he rose again. So there's a resurrection element to what we're doing. Um, the, the two people who were walking along the road to Emmaus, they came battered and bruised emotionally, completely in a turmoil as they came and as they walked. And that's how we often come. I don't know what our week's been like, but if we're we're in a difficult job or if we're really standing up for Christ, then we will have been battered and bruised along the way and we will be confused and we won't have all the answers. So we come like that. That's how we come. And then Jesus speaks to them, listens to them, preaches to them. And that's what we do when we come to worship. We should be listening to each other. We should be listening uh, to Jesus explaining the Scriptures to us. And yet they're still kept from recognizing him. And then the fourth interesting thing is that they... um, as they approached the village, they didn't, still didn't know who he was, but they practiced hospitality. They've been taught by Jesus that that's the way you act towards strangers, and they did it. And maybe that's part of recognizing Jesus as well. Yeah, that we, um, we we practice even when perhaps we don't feel like it, as they surely can't have felt like it at that point. And then they recognized him as he took the bread, gave thanks, and broke it. And afterwards, they're explaining what happens. And, um, and they said, that uh, in verse 35, then the two told what had happened on the way and how Jesus was recognized by them when he broke the bread. And uh, we see the scars in the hands of Jesus. Thomas wanted to see the scars in the hands of Jesus. That is Jesus. There is no Jesus without the scars. That's the one who we worship. Not so much the glorious ascended Jesus, but the one who was on the cross and took our sin. And that's how we come now.